We want to welcome Mario back. Mario, we just literally talked to you like two or three weeks ago. What is going on? I don't know. I mean, I think it was just such a good time. And we're like, let's just do that more frequently. Yes. Like, that's what, like, and here we are. So we, we already did our Wonder Woman 1984 review for, you know, our podcast, but we saw like your comments online (laughs) and we were like, we can, well, let's talk, maybe Mario will change our mind a little bit. Oh here. yeah, yeah. I, I, if maybe, I maybe maybe it's that. us. Maybe we need to be because you have this very seductive voice, sir, <laughs> and you oh, can be boy. very persuasive in your uh, in your uh, way of communicating. So I'm maybe linguist. Maybe you can uh, can give us some uh, feedback on Wonder Woman 1984. But before we do that, yeah. let's do like a little round table and like just go over like what we liked, what we didn't like kind of a thing. I'll start and then Mario – well, I'll start, then Kyle, then Mario just so – and then we'll start to like actually de- dissect our sure. issues. So overall, like I would give uh, Wonder Woman 1984 like two and a half out of four stars. I thought it was a cross between Superman Returns meets Bruce Almighty. There's some great action sequences in there, like the like the first hour and a half meanders. But then after that, like there's some really powerful stuff, like the beautiful lie stuff, the stuff with Maxwell Lord and the Sun. Even though that's not my Maxwell Lord, that's not what I read as a kid growing up in the comics. That wasn't. That just never been. That like watching that, I posted this meme of uh, Vito Corleone as he's standing over uh, Sonny's body. Look how they massacred my boy. Like that's what I. <laughs> that's kind of how I see their portrayal of um, Maxwell Lord. I was like, that's just not. You know not my take on it like that's just not like how and like the wishing stone stuff was weird like very bizarre like a very bizarre you know narrative uh trope like the way that they uh had barbara nigma minerva <laughs> <laughs> like i did like none of it and like like there were a lot of like Chris Pine, like everyone's working their ass off. Everyone's really going, you know, really doing like really wonderful work. Like technically it's a super sound film. Like there's really good things going on. Like technically, you know, the cinematography, the direction, the the score, you know, the 80s music, the, the feel of it, you know, the DC stuff. But like it doesn't hit it out of the park this movie needed to be the dark knight and what like in my opinion and i know i'm gonna get shit for this is it's more batman forever instead of the dark knight it's just kind of like this vanilla film with some you know a great hour out of you know two and a half hours but there's that's my like brief summation of wonder woman 1984 and kyle what are your what like go talk about your what your thoughts are before we go to Mario. Yeah. So after having a little bit more time with it, I'm I'm still struggling 
Well, just kind of the whole script that they use. Like, like you said, a lot of the technical aspects are great. Like, the cinematography is great. The music's great. I think the acting's on point for the most part. I even think the casting choices were, were pretty solid, too. But then, like, as the movie's going, it just kind of meanders. They're like, okay, here's here's the bit for this scene. Okay, we did the thing. Now let's move on to something else that doesn't really matter. <laughs> so, so, yeah, like, we go through the movie, and it's like, okay, where, where are we going with this? What are we set? Are we what are we setting up? What are we building to? Because it feels like this could have been like a TV show or something with the way it's, it's paced out. Like I don't know what they're doing here. And then and all of a sudden you get to like the final forty minutes and it's like oh here we go now now we're at the plot now now we can actually do the thing we're here to do. And then it kind of just t- stumbles its way to the end and then it's like okay I guess that was uh, the big important. Thing that we had to spend millions of dollars making and it was and like what kyle said when we were doing our you know review of it is he argued he's like why was this movie sat on the show for a year and a half and like that's what the best that they could do and like that really hit home for me it was like you're right kyle it has been sitting on a shelf for a long time why didn't they, why weren't these kinks worked out so and it's interesting too that like there are stories that have now surfaced that the studio wanted to cut one of those two first scenes and Patty did was not for it. Either the mall scene or that like Olympian scene, you know, the, the Amazonian Olympic thing that's happening on Themyscira in the beginning. And it seems like, yeah, like it seems like somewhere in this last year and a half, there should have been a, a better conversation about the edit on the film. I agree. Absolutely. There's definitely stuff in there. That's like, this could have been caught. You know, we could have we could have figured this out by now. We had more than enough time to fine tune the picture. And didn't they do pickups and reshoots with this film? Like, weren't there things that they didn't they refilm a few things here or there? I'm 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 actually not certain, but I mean that does happen a lot on on mm-hmm. these kinds of movies. I wouldn't be shocked, but I haven't heard any specific stories about that happening on this one. Um, but I guess if you're ready for me to talk about my, my feelings on it, mm-hmm. the funny thing is like, I'm not over the moon about it. I'm probably, if we're going on a four star scale, I'm probably also like two and a half out of four. But I think the difference is I'm a lot more enthusiastic about my two and a half than you are <laughs> because I really appreciate like the, the sort of heart and scope of, of, of mm-hmm. the story. And I appreciate what Patty Jenkins was going for. I really do. And I love the idea of that monkey's paw element. Remember, we were talking about that last time I was here and mm-hmm. I called it, you know, it was that, you know, so that's, that was, it was going to be a whole, like, be careful what you wish for narrative. And I thought it was interesting that they said it in the greedy 80s and that, you know, it didn't hit me right at first, but some a friend of mine eventually pointed it out to me. And, like, it, it really did have some interesting things to say with the whole, like, 1984 aspect where, like, that weird thing where, where we, can, we, we can control what goes onto every television and control the message and all that sort of stuff. Some of that stuff was sort of Orwellian. So it's like <laughs> there was a lot of interesting ideas in this movie. And there was a good heart and it had, you know, it had a nice, interesting thing to say about the power of the truth and the power of like, you know, you can't be selfish. You can't only just worry about yourself. And that's what's Mm -hmm. happening because the people are making these wishes. They're only worrying about themselves and they're inadvertently ruining the world. So the moral of the story to me is a beautiful one about, you know, trying to be more selfless and thoughtful and Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. And, you know. 
it's just a shame that you know I do think it 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 that script needed another pass and the edit needed another session or two in the bay you know it was it was a little far i mean it was close i feel like it could have been a much better film with just a little bit more fine tuning you so so the execution is where it was kind of lacking in the final product of it and also i think it got weird and hokey towards the end like the max lord stuff Really, like, at first I was with it. At first I was intrigued. Like, I didn't hate the Wishing Stone thing. I thought it was interesting. I felt like, you know, okay, she's going for, like, an 80s action-adventure thing. It's almost like, you know, in Indiana Jones there was mystical Mm -hmm. stuff. It was like, all right, we're going into some freaky, weird stuff with gods and stones and mystical powers. But there's a moral to the story about how these can affect and, and lead to the fall of a civilization through the greed of the people who have the stone and so on and so forth. So it's like... I was into all that. And then when he made himself the stone, I'm like, interesting way to go about it. I wonder how well, you know, I wonder how how this is going to hurt him. Mm-hmm. And then we start seeing the thing where like he's bleeding out of his eyes, but I feel like the, I, I don't know exactly what he's losing, you know? Like I felt like it started getting a little wonky after a while. Like the you know, it just felt weird that the, the, I was with it until I wasn't. And then when they did the thing, you know, like I really, I was like, oh, Wishing Stone's great. And then, oh, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Because then when he's in that place with this, and he's broadcasting through all the, onto all the televisions in the known universe, um, I don't understand how that works. Like through the particles, he's able to. You, you, you step into the light. And then you can broadcast a TV signal to every TV and computer monitor in the world. They use the light <laughs> I mean, thing from Charlie Bra- Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But like, <laughs> even if I can understand, even even if I'll give them that, okay, even if I'll give them that, we've established that you have to be touching in order for the stone to work. Yeah. So if people are just watching the TV, like they had to work in this weird thing in the White House scene where he's like, the particles, there's particles the in particles the air. Are touching the and I'm like, oh, so the particles touch them. So it's like me touching them. I'm like, oh, guys, this has got this, this just jumped the shark. Yeah. To me, like the White House, from the White House on, I had had a real hard time. I was with them until the White House. And like then, I'm telling uh, you, they, they watched you know. Willy Wonka and the Chalk Effect <laughs> way too many times. And yeah. they got really stoned. And they're like, that'd be a great idea, the particles. <laughs> like the Mike TV aspect of Willy Wonka. It just feels like it, it, and, and it's funny. It almost feels like there should have been another villain, which is funny because you never hear that. Like mo- most people are like, "Don't overstuff the plot, don't like overdo it." But I felt like either either Cheetah needed to be a, a bigger, more menacing force because for some reason, I, I mean, I actually enjoyed Kristen Wiig's portrayal, and, and I didn't think it was quite Edward Nigma levels of camp. I thought, you know, it, there was some of that, but I thought mm-hmm. Wig, you know, had underplayed some of it. I thought, you know, it was a little more subtle than Jim Carrey and freaking Batman Forever. I love Jim Carrey. Like, that's not, I just, okay. like, it's just that, it's just that, like, we look at uh, Jim Carrey, you look at Guy Pierce in Iron Man 3, you see this, you see Jamie Foxx in uh, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. It's just that very tropey, really like that's how they portray nerds and like we all know nerds i don't know too many nerds who look like that yeah like not even in 1980s like like the whole like she can't walk like she's and then all of a sudden she becomes this boss ass bitch 
Like when she but, becomes, when she gets that wishing stone and everything, like it just did, like that stuff to me is such a waste. It's such a waste of a great character. Well, it's such a waste of a great actress. Well, here's what I think was wasted. I thought that all could have been a setup for her ultimate moral to be that like it was always in her i thought that i thought they were <laughs> building to that because ultimately she didn't change physically at first it seemed right. almost just more like there was a, just a little more innate confidence and i kind of thought hmm, i wonder if like that's where this is going to ultimately go when on the you know when she's done being a giant cat lady you know she's gonna learn you know in a nice moral at the end of the story like after she's done being a crazy cat lady naturally She'll learn that she, you know, she always had it in her, and she didn't mm-hmm. need a weird wishing stone or to be uh, pretend to be a bad boss bitch or whatever you called her. <laughs> like, and like that's not like that's not like a uh, like that's not a like a negative what? like a boss ass bitch to me is like a good thing. Like, of course, like, no, absolutely. But, but, but it's just like so, like her characterization is so wasted because she when she does become. The BAB, like, when she does change, it just is, like, it's just, like, this, like, you saw what, there was no surprises in her portrayal. It was very much, like, like, See, it was I, like. See, I, I gotta disagree. I gotta disagree. I think, I think Wig was able to, especially in, like, the early instances, she played it off, like, I don't know how I'm suddenly so good at this, and this is a little weird. Like, there definitely was that element. She wasn't just suddenly vamping it out and su- super confident. It was interesting that at first she was still that insecure person, but mm-hmm. everything was just going well, and she was like, how can this be happening, you know? So I, I, had it been overnight like that, I might agree, but I actually did think her portrayal was pretty good. That that that's one area where I will flat out disagree with you, Justin. She she's very she's strong, like she's strong. I just think that the way that they wrote the character was not beneficial for how good of an actress she actually is. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like maybe I need yeah. to amplify my answer. Like she's good in the role, but you, you, but you role could, she could have done more. But the role she's good in the role, but the role itself was there was. Things left to be desired from mm-hmm. that. I can see that. Very, very much a like cookie cutter trope of a character that was given to her. And she's good in so many things. Like she's good, you know, when she was on SNL. She's good in. Well, it wasn't horrible bosses. I'm trying to think the movie she was in, like the, with the all girl cast. It's, I'm, it's escaping me at the moment. But, like, she's good in so many things. It's yeah, just like, oh, you mean Bridesmaids? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Like, she's good in so many things. It's just, like, I don't know, like, like, and when, when she, tur- like, her character, like, the how they ended her story her, her, her didn't really whole, work for me. Her whole purpose in the movie is very confusing. It almost feels kind of tacked on in a way. Because she's introduced, and it's like, oh, she's, like, the nerdy, awkward girl, and she's jealous of Diana. Okay. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do with that? Well, she gets powers, and then somehow that means that Diana, like, failed her or, like, wasn't a good fr- good enough friend to her, even though she was actually really nice to her? Yeah, then it, it's – she just got progressively so they, so they more evil even without then, Diana's, yeah, interference. It's like, what, what is, like, what is the, the whole point of this? Like, are we trying to get the message across that, like, you're not allowed to want – to be better or something like like what is her whole arc like what what is the end goal that we got for her here 
Yeah, no, and that's kind of what I was getting at too. Where it just like it feel like it felt like they were setting stuff, some stuff up for her that didn't end up getting paid off for whatever reason. It just didn't, you know, they didn't go any anywhere all that interesting with it. But getting back to the point before the point was mm-hmm. that it almost felt like this could have used another villain. And the reason I feel that is that the cheetah thing, I felt like. It all came down to this, like, interesting, I guess, you know, little three-minute battle, and they end up in the pool, and she electrocutes her. Um, I don't know. That, that to me, you know, it didn't leave that a very strong impression, especially because it, se- it seemed like Diana was apologizing to her because she was going to kill her. But then she just zapped her and then took her out. She obviously wasn't going to kill her. So why'd you apologize? Right? Why be so dramatic if all you're going to do is basically tranquilize her, you know? I mean, I guess because it's going to hurt. But I mean, yeah, it was just it was, it was like weird. So 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 that didn't pay off all that excitingly. And then the thing with Maxwell Lord, like the fact that it all comes down to like a bunch of people just saying I renounce, it felt so like flimsy. Like it didn't feel like the the payoff in the third act. None, none of the things paid off with much like oh man, wow. You know what I mean? The, say what you will about Wonder Woman's first act, it paid off certain storylines and the stuff with Ares and the stuff that happens with Steve Trevor's in the, in the the sacrifice and all that stuff. Like it has it builds and leads to climaxes. In this one. For whatever reason, none of the climaxes really hit for me. Mm-hmm. And that's a shame because, again, I love where its heart was at. And I love the moment when she's basically broadcasting a message of love through that signal to the whole world. And her just you know, her voice and her message gets people to renounce. Like I like the idea of that. But, like, I just got, like, hokey. It didn't feel – I don't know. It was just yeah, – like, it, it got the idea, silly. The, the idea there is good. Her, you yeah. know, giving the message and all that. But it's definitely the execution that's way off. Because if you think about it, they're, they're trying to convey that everyone needs to renounce their wish. But, like, not everybody wished for bad stuff. I'm sure someone, you know, wished no, to, yeah, like, people, like but even cure cancer for... or, or something, right? Oh, like, well, yeah. like yeah, surely, like some, some, there's got to be people that wish for good stuff. But that's no, true. apparently, apparently they have to renounce their wish, too. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess, but I feel like if they would have done a better job at pointing out that, like, the countermeasure to whatever you wish is going to be just as, you know, powerful. You know what I mean? So it's like, if you wish for something huge, you know, positive, something huge, negative is also going to happen. You know, like, I feel like if they would have made that point a little more clear, then maybe it might have felt more urgent for everyone to be renouncing or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, it just felt like a little bit like it came out of nowhere. You know, and even like when, like when Steve Trevor's like, well, you know, you know what you have to do. I was a little bit like, no, what does she have to do? Like, I wasn't sure what he meant by that. And then when she walked away and just said the words plainly and then he was gone, I'm like, oh, so this is all coming down to just saying some words out loud somewhere. Oh, that's how they're going to un- like that. Like that was another point where I'm like, oh, no. Oh, what have you done? Like, I really like I really miss Alan Heinberg. I I have to say that Alan Heinberg is the guy who really, you know, handled the script for the first Wonder Woman. You know, lots of people had story credits. But, you know, I I, I listened to an interview earlier today and and it, it was all sort of broken down who did what. And that was really Alan Heinberg's movie. It was his pitch. It was his take. That whole Little Mermaid thing, making it more of a relationship film about her and her mom and her and Trevor and all that, you know, like. I wish they would have gotten him back. I feel like his his way of tackling Diana Prince uh, 
works really remarkably well. So why wouldn't you move mountains to get that guy back? You know, I swear, sometimes Hollywood thinks writers are just completely just replaceable and, and dispensable. And, ah, we could just pluck out another writer from the writer farm. And it's like, no, you know, you had someone great. <laughs> Somebody gave you, you know, and because like the, Heinberg was telling the story on this interview about how, like, Zack Snyder and Jeff Johns and them had been trying to write Wonder Woman for a year, and they'd hit a wall. They didn't know what the hell to do with her. And then Jeff Johns brought in Heinberg, and it was Heinberg's pitch that basically created that movie. So here you have a guy who, like, his version of this story is what finally cracked it, finally made this movie that you've been trying to make since 2000, you know, for, like, a long time. There's been some talk of a Wonder Woman movie. You finally get it. How do you not do everything you can pay this back up the money truck and get him to write you a sequel you know what i mean i just that baffles me that baffles me like there's other issues that i have with this film as well the convoluted nature of so she wishes for steve trevor to come back why couldn't steve trevor just come back as steve trevor why did it have to be this weird dude yeah and then like what like does that dude have no memory of like the week that he was steve trevor like, it was well, so convoluted. Well, I was not for that at all, and I hated right. that choice. I hated that choice. I'm like, well, unless this is going to lead to something on the other end. I, I, I kept giving her the benefit of the doubt. Like, this must be part of why Diana has to renounce the wish, because she realizes that she took, you know, she got Chris, but this, she basically ended another man's life. I thought, like, this guy's family was going to eventually show up at the door, his mother, where are you? You know what I mean? And suddenly she'd realize, oh, my God. You know what I mean? Like, I thought they were building towards that. I thought that's why they did it this way. Nope. Instead, it never gets addressed. And then it's just this weird thing where, like, does this guy have no friends and no family that for, like— Because I think this movie takes a little while. Like, the, 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 a lot, we cover some time in this. I don't think it's, like, a day or right. two. Like, that so poor like, guy, he, he goes missing for, like, a week. <laughs> no one hears from him. The only record that people can find from him is that apparently he stole a jet— that's the only thing people can find about this guy. So, yeah, that, that poor guy. It's going to be a knock on his door soon because there's all these surveillance pictures of him stealing a jet with Wonder Woman. She ruined oh. this guy's life. Well, no, it, it's no okay. Sense. Happy ending. So, like, and I still understand, like, so, because there's that scene where he's in the mirror, but it's showing the random dude's face. Yes. But it's really Steve Trevor. So she can see who Steve Trevor – like, it just doesn't work. Well, I think what they're trying to say, which, again, made me feel like what a bizarre choice, and this had better pay off later, and it didn't. Um, but I think what they were trying to say was, like, she sees this other guy. With, mm-hmm. with her eye, she phys- she physically sees this guy, but she she feels Steve's, like – presence his energy she can hear him she can recognize who he is through the eyes you know that sort of thing but they were basically trying to say that like she's walking around with that other guy but she knows that it's steve trevor's spirit inside him i'm like again why would you do it i just don't I don't understand it. I really, it's, I didn't get it. It's like the it. Independence Day alien. There's like an alien inside of, inside, remember in Independence Day where yeah. they're, where they're like dissecting the alien and there's like, there's the big alien and then inside the aliens is like little alien. That's what it was like. <laughs> Just like that made more sense in this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. And that, uh, I mean, and, 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 
there are things I liked. You know, I think Gal yeah. Gadot is still born to play this this character. Mm-hmm. I still, yeah, I think I, I I I'm looking forward to seeing her in a third film with hopefully a better script. And um, you know, our boy Pedro Pascal acted his ass off, mm-hmm. but I think ultimately the the script let him down though, because in the third act, all he really had to do was like. Scream a lot about him yeah, and that he, thing he about was the wishes. Great until the very end, where like his direction was like, "Okay, you're gonna stand by this light, and you're just gonna keep yelling at the light for like five I minutes." Like, yeah, that sequence <laughs> felt like it lasted forever. And then, and, and and the sad part is that I had been so sort of beaten down by that point, like with you know, from the, between the the White House and everything straight up to that, you know, with him shouting inside the light. Um, <laughs> When they get to the thing now where we see the flashback and Beautiful Lie is playing and it's the kid, I already stopped caring. So by that point, now I'm just sitting there like, oh, it might have been nice to still be invested. It might have been nice to care about this. You know, like, but by that point, like, I don't know, the pacing and just the way the whole thing had sort of played out, by the time we got to the big redemptive part of Max Lord's arc, I was just over it. I was like, all right, when is this thing going to wrap up? Uh, the movie set in 1984, but they literally could have set this movie in 2020. Yeah, there wasn't much about it that screamed the the 80s. You know, the, some of the themes did, and I and I understand like, you know, the 80s was famous for for greed and you know Wall Street and all that sort of stuff. So I understand if you're trying to set it in an era where everyone just wants more, more, more. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 80s is kind of like the perfect decade for that. And between you and I. Between us three, all right, just the cool kids. Don't tell your listeners. No, uh, I, I've theorized that like the real reason that she did the '80s thing and the other one, yeah, and the World War One thing, even though that wasn't her call, but this one was. I think she just doesn't want to deal with all of this stuff with the canon and the present day and the BBS <laughs> and the Justice League. I think she's like, I'm gonna keep like the next one's gonna take place in 2000. I, I mean. But like the way right this movie ended, clearly she doesn't care about the uh, the continuity. <laughs> she does not, and like I think, and like we before we started talking, like it was announced like right after that Patty was going to come back for a third one. I I don't believe that's going to be the case. I think that the mandate from the new powers that be is we want we want this shared universe to work. We want we want the Snyderverse back. Like we we have Batman, we have Superman. We're gonna do the Batman's gonna be in Earth too. And I think that because she's so hardened against the idea of a Batman showing up or Superman showing up in you know or an Aquaman showing up in a third movie, that ultimately has she said that. I mean, we can, we can, let's just, she, I don't think she has said that, but like, it's very prevalent, like in how I'm viewing things as a viewer. Yeah. Like there's opportunities that she could have had, you know, she could have had someone show up in this film or, you know, like the whole idea of Bruce Wayne being kind of like in the background and the first Wonder Woman didn't really like there was left things to be desired. Like there was their way of saying, Hey, this is part of the shared universe, but not really. Because that could have been of any Bruce Wayne, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I like, just think, it, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Like, like I just think, like just from kind of like hearing things and seeing things. I as much as I originally wanted her to finish her trilogy after this film, I just 
I just don't see like I don't know. Like I'm not I'm not so certain that she will be back. Like I don't know. Like cause Justin she, plus plus her schedule is busy. She's got Cleopatra and she's got Star Wars uh, Squadron. So where is she where is she going to be able to find time between those two huge mega movies to develop a third Wonder Woman film? So wow. That's that's my take. Like obviously, like who? What do I know? Kind of a thing. So, but I feel like Mario, you have something to say. Oh, I really do. I think <laughs> you're on crack if you think Patty Jenkins isn't coming back for Wonder Woman three. Are you insane? Okay, Warner Brothers. Yes. <laughs> Warner Brothers may be myopic and ridiculous and kick its own ass all the time, and you know, while also putting its foot in its mouth, and you know, always take two steps forward and three steps back. That may all be true, but they're not gonna let Patty Jenkins walk off the lot. Wonder Woman eighty four is still doing positive things for them. It's oh, it's performing nicely for HBO Max. The box office that opening weekend and everything, it, it, it's doing all right. So there's no way that they're going to get out of the Patty Jenkins business right now. And there's no way that she wants to walk away from this. This is her baby. She's already talked about that they've developed stories and ideas for where they're going to go with all this. So I don't know where you get this impression that she's going anywhere, but I think you are out of your mind. Probably. What do you think, Kyle? Yeah. I mean, if if the Hollywood has taught me anything, it's that a couple of negative reviews aren't going to, you know, like end someone's creative hold on a property. So I think it's still more likely than not she's going to continue to work for Warner Brothers and get a third movie out there. And like you said, it's it's making money. It's I mean, not a ton of money, but it's making money. It's I mean, what right. could make a ton of money right now, you know? You know, if, if all the theaters were operating at 100%, maybe, <laughs> but that's not going to happen. Exactly. Uh, so, so for what it could be. Yeah, so I, I think it, it may be a few years before we hear anything else about Wonder Woman 3, but I think she's still going to be on the project. And she's I been see, out there doing press being, about it. She's I been see out there. her being a producer on the film. I don't see her directing. I mean, that is a bold prediction there, Justin. I mean, hey, I proved like this is one of the things where I would like to be proven wrong. Like, I would love to be proven wrong. I think that she's a very strong director, given given what this second film is, which is not, you know, like I always feel like movies should improve on the original. Here's, here's what I'll say. Bring her back as director. But let's get someone else to write the script. Yes, and let's, and let's get someone else to make to direct those action sequences. Those action sequences were tr like dumpster fire bad. Like nothing about it was like, and like I got a lot of flack online because I said you know the the I didn't care for the action. Like that action, the the best action sequence that they had, other than you know the opening was the action sequence like the desert car chase yeah but even that with the way she's running and everything it's so weird man it's so bizarre it was definitely missing the 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 crispness and the like sort of brutal violence almost of that of the first wonder woman where she's running around and like everything feels really painful and really you know it was like gritty it was like yeah gritty. 
gritty action like that the no man's land sequence when yeah. she's when they're trying to take that sniper out and she you know crashes into the bell tower and she yeah. takes and out even when she's thugs. just running through that base and crashing through walls and clearing whole rooms of soldiers mm-hmm. like it's shot in such a dynamic way and yeah that was definitely missing this time too you know, it's a shame. It's a shame because I don't. I didn't walk into this movie wanting to dislike it. Quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. I walked in ready to love it. It, mm-hmm. it had it, the the bar was so low for me to love that movie. You know, like I walked in like this is going to be awesome. It's Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot again. Oh, this is oh, and it's it's set in the '80s and it's going to have some stuff to say because it's '84. And Hans Zimmer's doing the score. Like it, there was a lot of reasons for me to think. This is going to be awesome. And then by the end there was just like, oh, really, guys? You made me not love this thing? I walked in ready to just give you roses. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, I'm going to just throw these out now. <laughs> Every rose has its thorn. Oh. Uh, like, M- Mario, what are your thoughts on having Chris Pine back as Steve Trevor? As much as I love the yeah, idea. Of oh, okay. Him come back. Yes, I thought you were asking for like if he for of him coming back again. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. like <laughs> in this, in this film. I think oh, there's yeah. a way. That, I think there's. A, I think there's a way. I'm trying to think of the. I think it was the. Uh, I'm trying to think of the writer, the comic book writer's name that he did. Uh, his Wonder Woman run. I think it was Greg Rucka's Wonder Woman run where he actually was able to fi- figure out a way to bring Steve Trevor like back into like the present and it made it work. I'd have to go back and read those Mm -hmm. because it was a very strong Wonder Woman story. Yeah. I mean, like I just didn't think that this, this hit, like it did nothing to, I just felt like Patty Jenkins wanted to work with, you know, Chris Pine again. Like it didn't, it didn't feel like there was like really like the stuff that he's in is strong and that like when they're having that final conversation between the two of them, like it's really emotional. Like that was like really like tug at your heartstrings, but like they, it was like the, like, I think Kyle said it was like, it was like, so the first movie it's Wonder Woman's a fish out of water. This one, it's Steve Trevor's a fish out of water. It was like the opposite, Mm -hmm. but it like nothing really happened. Justin, we got that like five minute clove scene where they're like wearing weird pants. Yeah. Like here's the (laughs) thing. I'm actually all for them bringing him back. But again, it was the execution that let me down because in general, like if you're going to go down a path thematically where people are making wishes and they have to be careful what they wish for. And that's what you want this movie to be about. What's something that Diana Prince? what's the only thing that she really wants? I mean, I guess she could have probably just wished for world peace. You know, she really screwed this whole thing up. You know, but <laughs> aside from world peace, movie. well, remember she didn't really believe it was real anyway. But you know, I guess if you, you know, what would really be her heart's desire? And I guess, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to defend this thing. <laughs> I don't know. So, no, but so I, I the I, like... the idea of her wanting Steve back but having to give up her powers to kind of do that it's it's great. That's on paper mm-hmm. that's yes. a great idea. But then you bring Steve Trevor back, put him in someone else's body, and then you waste a whole bunch of time pretending, you know, doing the fish out of the water thing. That that's not good. Let's let's not do that part. Yeah, because everything yeah. else is great. That's a great idea. They just really dropped the ball on the execution. Yeah. 
I guess, you know, it, it's, it's again, it's, it's, if they're trying to go down that sort of path, I understand bringing him back. And I, I, I like the dramatic tension of, of being reunited with that long lost love. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and it's almost like it was like Superman too, where like she almost like she, she let her guard down and the world went to hell. Just like when <laughs> Superman was with Lois and he let his guard down and the world went to hell. So I kind of, you know, I, I, I was intrigued by those parallels, but I just felt like none of it was developed enough or paid off enough. I mean, for me, the one the one big payoff in the movie, and it's my big takeaway, it's the thing I keep repeating on, in my mind, is the invisible jet sequence. And they're flying through the fireworks. I don't know if you, how, how that scene played for you. But when I realized what they were doing, I got really excited. And like, you know, um, and I thought I thought it went really, I, I liked how, how that went. And that, to me, that was like the only time in the movie where I got those like, Ooh, goosebumps, those epic goosebumps that I got like every five minutes in the first Wonder Woman movie. Mm-hmm. That was the one time where I, I got that sort of like, wow, this is cool. But um, yeah, I thought the, the ex- sequence was I thought that sequence was very thematic and very emotional for them, too. But I think Kyle had issue with that sequence. Maybe. <laughs> what? Uh, what yeah. was your issue? If it's something really nerdy, I'm going to be mad at you. But go ahead. So say it, Kyle. Say the line. <laughs> the, 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 the way that scene wraps up just doesn't make any sense. What, I, I forget. How exactly does it wrap up? Uh, so we're talking. So when she when they're like out there. And they're, you know, they're being chased on the, the, the runway yeah. by guys. She's like, oh, I remember this one time when I was a little girl. I, I turned something invisible. Let me try it real quick. It's like, okay. Yeah, it <laughs> Where did, did this come, come from? <laughs> conveniently out of nowhere. You're like, right. <laughs> man, if, man, if only this movie had a part where we saw Diane as a little kid. We could have set up the fact she could turn stuff. Disappear. Yeah. We could have set up her ability to make stuff go invisible. That would have been great. But no, we don't have any scenes where she's a kid in this movie, so we can't do that. <laughs> Anyways. But, but I also feel like if they had done any of that, it would have sucked the surprise of it. Because I think the whole point of that. Yes. Because like you need to realize it when they're in the plane. So you go, oh, they're about to do an they're, invisible they're doing jet it. thing. And I did have her, that moment. I was like, oh, they're doing the thing. (laughs) They're doing the thing. If they would have did it sooner, if she if she would have made like a can of coke disappear, you would have been like, oh, they're gonna do a thing later. So like, I get it. Like, it's for the surprise. (laughs) Exactly. Sometimes you gotta have surprises, uh, Kyle. But then live a little bit. (laughs) But then once once we have that moment and we get the jet, yes, nothing else comes from it. Because I mean, apparently she learns how to fly on her own from that. (laughs) <laughs> somehow Listen, i'm not really, I'm, I'm still don't would... fully understand how she's like i'm steve trevor is like you, you you just gotta ride the wind i guess i'm gonna fly and ride the wind now <laughs> i i Listen, am i missing something here because like the way she gets that ability later just doesn't make I any was sense really, <laughs> i was really hoping nobody brought up the flying stuff because if i'm supposed to be like the voice of positivity here which i don't think i've been so great at already but <laughs> Uh, the flying stuff is really hard for me to get behind. 
I don't know why. I like that stuff. Like I did. Like, but it made it was convoluted. It made no sense. It looked great in the trailer. I, I mean, in theory, I should have loved that. I'm a Superman nerd, right? And I love the true blue hero, and I love everything Diana stands for, and the idea of, like, she's she's having her own take-flight heroic moment. That should make me feel amazing. Instead, I'm just like, but we've never seen her do this before, and we've already seen her in a couple of movies that takes place way after this. And then a lot of people, like, I, I mentioned that on Twitter, and people are quick to note, like, well, we never saw that she couldn't fly in those other movies. And I'm like, that's a weird, okay, <laughs> fine. But, like, if we're assuming she could, she's always, she's been flying through Justice League and BVS, why would they just never show that? And, or, you know, like, I, it just... For some reason, that part of my brain couldn't disengage, so mm -hmm. I couldn't just enjoy it. The whole time, I'm just going, they're retconning something. They're making her fly now. This is cool, but didn't she just say in an interview that she doesn't want to contradict the Snyder movies, and now she's flying? Like, my brain was in that zone mm -hmm. instead of, ah, oh, Wonder Woman's flying. So maybe that's my own issue. Maybe I just, you know, I I, I take these movies in in a way that's perhaps a little unhealthy. But... Um, <laughs> And, and the thing I really have a problem with here is it's one of those situations where, uh, like, a, a director, a writer, producer, or just anyone that worked on the movie could just be like, oh, yeah, that was the, the plan the whole time. We, we swear on our life that, yep. Mm -hmm. And you can't review that. You don't know if that was true or not. And so now everyone's just like, oh, I guess that was the case the whole time. We can, who are we to go against uh, this important person's word on that? Yeah, there was just, you know, I guess that that's kind of a running theme here so far when discussing this movie, where, like, there was just, like, there's there was a lot of thought that clearly went into certain things when it comes to, like, the themes and the, the relationships and that sort of stuff. But some of these, like, plot things and a lot of things in this film seem very, like, underbaked. Like overstuffed and underbaked, where it's like there's a lot of stuff that they're trying to do in there, but they're not, you know, doing it justice by, you know, doing it, you know, by executing it in a way that's meaningful and satisfying. And it 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 it, it was honestly like very disappointing, because I've held Jenkins in very high regard, you know, from Monster to Wonder Woman. I thought, okay, this is a really great potent phenomenal filmmaker that i'm excited to follow here but now with her ne her next big movie her chance to show like and look what i could do now completely untethered from other stuff now here's just me unleashed and to me it was a huge step back so it's a little bit I mean, listen i'm still excited to see what comes from her i'm not going to write her off for one you know so so movie but i gotta admit it was a little bit like oh man i you know, I, I wanted her to continue to be untouchable mm -hmm. you know for me like i have certain directors like, like you talked smack i think last time i was on this about denis villeneuve and i love denis villeneuve he's talking like, smack about denis i'm pretty sure justin brought something I, up because I, oh denis, justin we, yeah, need to have, we need to have a talk because Denis is anti the whole HBO Max thing, and I think Justin was laying the smackdown on all the directors who were bitching out about HBO Max. But, um, but yeah, like I had her in a category of my like elite level filmmakers who I will follow until the ends of the earth, mm -hmm. and this definitely put a, a chink in the armor. I hate to say that. Um, I think that it was cool to see her ride the lightning, and that's one of my favorite Metallica albums. So. <laughs> Like, it was See, cool. they should have put that in there. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, that would make sense, and not the other 80s music. Like, um, there wasn't. I mean, I, I've seen people complain about the fact that there wasn't enough 80s music, and I guess, I mean, listen, I'm not going to hold that against the movie, but I guess in hindsight. You know, I guess it's kind of true. Like, remember, the, like that first trailer that that dropped everyone's jaws. It had that that that. Um, how does it feel, right? Like, or it had some it had some cool remix of an '80s song, and it kind of like. You I know. think it's Orgy's Blue Monday. There you go, and it really kind of established song, though, isn't it? I think so, but let's not go there right now. But, you know, I, I felt like, you know, if you're going to do a movie in the 80s, I guess it kind of behooves you to work. And maybe you don't do all the, you know, don't do the most played out ones, but there should be a little more of that you know, in there, you know, but whatever. This, this film, like I was wanting this film to be Spider-Man 2, you know, the to Tobey Maguire. I want this film to be uh you know, X-Men, Days of Future Past. I want this film to be The Dark Knight, but instead we got, like, X-Men Apocalypse. We got, we got, uh, we got Batman Forever. Like, it's beautifully shot. Technically, it's super sound and super tight. But, like, man, just, like, what a missed opportunity. They literally, they hit a double when they were needed to really hit a grand slam here. Yeah. It's just one of those things where it's a shame where there's, Clearly a lot of talent behind the camera and in front of the camera. You have a stellar cast and a lot of great creatives behind the camera. And it's it's it just shows you like there's no such thing as a sure thing. You know what I mean? Like it shows you like it, sometimes there still needs to be that another person in the room who pushes everyone to go like maybe this isn't good enough, you know, because uh, it just felt like there weren't enough dissenters in, mm -hmm. in this writer's room, it feels like. Release the Jenkins cut. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> no, but that's the thing. I think this anyway. <laughs> this no, I don't think. I, like, I feel like this was her for sure. Her movie. Yeah, like, this I don't was think her there was movie. anything that was. And like, I really don't care for that mall sequence either. Like, if I'm the studio and I'm giving a studio note, I'm for sure losing that that sequence. Like, what did it do for us? Like, what, how did that push the narrative further? Like, the action in it wasn't that great. Like, it was really overtly campy. I mean, it was absolutely her riff on the opening of, um, I think it's Superman 3, where there's just, like, this one sequence in the beginning where one little thing goes wrong and it escalates and there's a lot of people involved. And the way the mall was staged early on there, the way, it, like, it all escalated, like, his weird domino effect, and then there she was to save the day. <laughs> it, she was clearly doing an homage to that. But I'm with you that it was a little bit just like, all right, is I don't know. It, it established a weird tone. We're like, all right, is this what the movie's going to be? But then it isn't quite that either. So it's, it's a little bit all over the place. Like, there's some really great stuff in it. But, I mean, what did you think about, Mario, what did you think about that first hour, first hour and a half of the film? Like, like I said, it like meanders. There's really not a lot of stuff going on. Like, you have that really strong opening on Themyscira, and I was really actually hoping we would get, like, 20 minutes of them just being in Themyscira. Yeah. Well, we, got, we got, it was, like, seven or eight minutes, and all that stuff is really great and really powerful, and it tells, like, a really good moral story. Like, you know, you can't cheat. you got to always be honest. You always have to be truthful, and, like, there's consequences for that. And then you get the Maw sequence. That really doesn't add much. It just kind of says, hey, we're, it's 1980s. You know, we're at the mall. Like, 
you know, and then well, like it's trying to say that happen. she's saving people from the shadows and you know that she's around, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but and that ultimately did set up though the whole wishing stone thing because those guys were there to rob that jewelry whatever that mm-hmm. store and Maxwell Lord had already pre-purchased the wishing stone that was at that store again very convenient how it all you know connects but either way you know this is movie magic we're talking about here but it wasn't um, so magical yeah <laughs> magic's running a little dry right now. <laughs> Like what happened? <laughs> like it would just like it just like nothing interesting was ha- like the uh, I, I, I can't remember didn't who was texting that day. I'm sorry because you did ask a question and and, and I and let me answer it. You said, "What did I think of that first hour and a half?" And the funny thing is, I was I was so willing to love and give the benefit of the doubt. That even though I felt like the pacing was a little, uh, and I uh, I wasn't really, I didn't feel that it was building quite, you know, in a very coherent way. Mm-hmm. And this whole thing with Steve Trevor taking the guy's body and like you know, some weird choices had happened, but I was still kind of like, I'm I'm with you. All right, let's. This is interesting. It's not exactly what I would, you know, but as long as it pays off in the third act. Let's do this. But then it was pre- it was really after the first hour and a half when it starts getting more into like, you know, Max Lord going to the White House and then that whole third act thing happens. Up until that point, I was actually with it. I wasn't, you know, and, and by that point, I'd already kind of heard that there'd been kind of a polarizing response to this. And I remember feeling like I don't understand what all the hate is for. You know, it, it, it's not amazing so far, but, you know, I, I don't get where all of this animosity is coming from. And then it was after that where I'm like, oh, I, I get it now, you know. But just to <laughs> fairly answer your question, the first hour and a half really didn't, you know, it, it, I was with it. I was giving it a chance. I was enjoying some of the seeds being planted, optimistically hoping that they were going to be, you know, develop into something satisfying. Mm-hmm. And that was very hit or miss in the end. Where does this film rank for you? Now, I know that you posted this on Twitter. I did. Where, where does this <laughs> film rank for you within the DCEU canon? Well, if you must know, yes, I did, in fact, update my DCEU ranking. I hope everyone took note and made, you know, save this date in their calendars, because this is a very important thing. But um, I I rank Wonder Woman 84. Fourth. Out of nine. You're way more gracious. I am, but, but, but it's also because... I have much stronger feelings about the negatives in all the films that come after it. So for me, like (laughs) in fifth place, it's Aquaman. And to me, Aquaman was a lot of fun, but it was super stupid. And Mira (laughs) with her little flute. And it was very just, I don't know. To me, Aquaman had a lot of stuff that was very like super cornball, not my style, and and, and ham-fisted acting from the guy who played Black Manta. There was a lot of stuff about Aquaman that, that I also just felt like this is this is really cheesy and it and it wants to be cheesy. Wonder Woman 84 was actually striving for something. It didn't it didn't succeed necessarily, but it was mm-hmm. going for something. Aquaman I I wasn't digging it. Uh Birds of Prey is what I have in 6th, which to me didn't really leave much of an impression one way or the other. To me it was 
kind of a nothing movie. At least Wonder Woman 84, I have things I remember and can talk about it. Birds of Prey, I forgot once the credits started rolling. In seventh place, you got Justice League, the theatrical cut, which, again... Uh, to me, that was a completely forgettable movie and has way fewer redeeming qualities than Wonder Woman 84 does. Mm-hmm. I, that's crazy for you. And then eighth, and then this is the one that got me, of course, a little bit of heat. But eighth is Batman versus Superman. To me, I have way more wholesale issues with Batman versus Superman than I do with Wonder Woman 84. Wonder Woman 84 was still ultimately my kind of movie, even if it wasn't ex- pulled off. BVS is just not my kind of movie. And then after that is Suicide Squad. So, you know, for me, all the it might seem like I have Wonder Woman 84 really high on my ranking, but it's really because that bottom half to me is a bunch of, you know, nothing. No, that's that's fair. I think that's a very reasonable reason for doing that. Yeah, I mean, I, and I and I that's gonna piss some people off. I know the Aquaman has its its lovers and defenders and Birds of Prey and BBS, obviously, but like I just, yeah. Wonder Woman 84 still has more for me than any of those movies. What's number – what's one through three then? Ah, well, I'm glad you asked. Number one is the first Wonder Woman movie. Really? Interesting. Yes. That to me has always been the best of the DCEU movies followed by Man of Steel and Shazam. So Man of Steel is number one for me. But in reality, I think that the best that the DCU has had to offer has been Shazam. Like I can just literally pop that movie. Love that movie, yeah. Like it is still entertaining. I still fall in love with the characters. Like I watched that. Like I was able to like have an opportunity to show my students that because I have students that come and eat lunch in my classroom. So they're like, "Mr. Shailen, what can we do?" It's like, "Hey, let's watch Shazam. It's rated PG. Like it's a good time. It's rated PG, right?" Nah, it's PG thirteen because of that. Okay, there's that that one scene. Don't say – don't tell anyone. Just anyway, so we people's it. heads off. Yeah. Um, but that sequence at the end where all the kids turn into like like they're adults. Oh, now, that's amazing. Like all my students are like, yeah. It was like awesome to see that response. But yeah. I love that sequence. Like when I went and saw that movie in the theaters, you know, something that I miss doing. Damn you, COVID-19. Um, like when they – when I saw that film, like – and that moment happens, everyone was cheering. Everyone was down with for it. And I was like, wow, like this is – but like it's just a really tight film. I love the message. I love the family, you know, the family stuff. The action's really tight, you know, like – It's but more it's, character-driven than yeah. anything, and I think that really speaks volumes. You know, it, these kinds of movies, you got to care about the characters. you mm-hmm. got to care about the heroes and the villains. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of things blowing up. You know, it's a bunch of just, you know – and Shazam really kind of had its heart in the right place, and it was very mm-hmm. character-driven, and I agree. My, it, it, to me, it was very telling that I introduced my kids to it, and then the very next day they watched it again. Mm-hmm. And then I think the next day, like, they, they just – it suddenly it was on loop in the house, and then we had to get my son Shazam action figures and Dr. Zavanna. Like, it left such an instant imprint on him that, yeah, I'm like, this is – this is great. You know, th- th- this is th- this is what I see superhero movies for. For mm-hmm. this feeling of like joy and imagination and you know, good triumphing over evil. I mean, I sound like a simpleton in a Hallmark card, but <laughs> that's the stuff that I, you know, I th- that's what I 
I, I come to these movies for, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. And that's why, and that's what like my list reflects, you know what I mean? Because the, the values, the things that I look for in these movies, um, Wonder Woman 84 may not have delivered them, unfortunately, in, in spades, but at least that stuff was in there. So that's why it's mm-hmm. still in my top four, uh, despite my reservations. I, w- I would say that Shazam plays more like a Superman movie than Wonder Woman 84 did. Mm. And I feel like Wonder Woman 84 actually was trying to play like a Superman movie. Like, I feel like they're trying to recapture that Dick Donner type of a film. But Shazam... Yeah was able to execute that way more. Like, you could definitely see a lot of that Superman stuff in it. Like, when they're in, when you see, like, actual, uh, you know, Shazam for the first time, he's in that costume, and then there's that character, that actor, is like, hey, man, red, you know, red tights, white cape. Like, I can't remember the exact line, but it was something like that. I was like, hey, that's like, hey, man, that's a bad outfit. Like, from the first <laughs> Superman movie. So... And, like, Dr. Zavano looks like Lex Luthor, you know. It's interesting because I never really thought so much about the parallels between Shazam and and Superman. To me, honestly, the best Superman movie of the last 20 years is Wonder Woman. Because, to me, tonally speaking, like, to me, Jenkins took the Donner sort of mold, but it was updated and it had more grit and heft and mm. stakes. The World War One setting was really hard hitting. The whole idea of of Ares corrupting humanity, but humanity always looking to try to kill itself anyway. Like it had a lot of interesting stuff going on in there. And but to me, the idea of like that true blue hero from a mystical land coming to a complicated place, but wanting to help, but not knowing necessarily how and having the costume that somebody comments on. Also, like you mentioned, the bad she has her own bad outfit moment mm-hmm. in uh, in in Wonder Woman. Like to me, you know, she she it's interesting. With the first film, to me, she updated and modernized in a, the the Donner sort of feel. Mm-hmm. With Wonder Woman '84, she did a riff on Richard Lester more than Richard Donner. You know, and Richard Lester, if you'll recall, is the guy who took over for Donner and shot a bunch of Superman two, and and he he's the cellophane s guy from Superman mm-hmm. two, and he's the guy who did uh, Superman three with Richard Pryor. So I feel like she for some reason was going more Lester than Donner here, and that was a a peculiar way to go. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> but also, um, can we just talk for a second, like? <sighs> Why does it seem like it's so hard for DC on film to just get on a consistent roll? Because there's no, there's, there is no Kevin Feige. Uh, there's no one who sits at the top there. Yeah, like I'd love to say, like, no, not everyone needs to follow what the what anyone else is doing. There's another way to do this. But maybe you're right. Maybe you know. They really just need that, that they, central they, architect. They, they, I think they had that with. Well, Snyder was that initially. Well, Zack Snyder, yes. Um, and then I think they had that in uh, Berg and Jeff Johns, and then they got blamed for Justice League, and then there's all been all that fallout from that. And then you have Walter Hamada now, who's more of a businessman. He's not really <laughs> like carving out this epic slate so much as mm-hmm. like just trying to keep costs down and trying, you know, like, I feel like he approaches this much more as a business, which is great, you know, because for a while there, the budgets were swelling and the Mm -hmm. profits were going down and things were going weird. Mm -hmm. But like, 
it would be nice to have someone who has more of that that sense of like here's the world we want to build and here's the plan we're going to use to build it but at the same time I, I i like the idea of letting filmmakers just go off and do their own thing and be well, able to... that's what you that's what we have so far that's what we've gotten and it's been hit or miss right it has been hit or miss and and, and like I guess that's... I, and the, the argument that a lot of people that I, you know the argument that i get a lot with the they don't have a Kevin Feige is they they point to Iron Man 2 they point to Iron Man 3 they point to those first few uh thor films growing uh, pains <laughs> Yeah, yeah there, like, there, there's always a transitional focus. period. It's 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 gonna happen. Like, but they but they had an overarching. This is where we want to go. This is where we're leading to, and because of that, you get Avengers: Infinity War. You get the Avengers: Endgame. You get those iconic moments. You you earn you earn the biggest grossing film of all time. You earn those moments. You earn those scenes. Well, Whereas, for better, but but. For better or worse, they're not doing that. For better or worse, their whole thing now is the multiverse, multiverse. I was surprised even on HBO Max it says that the DC multiverse. Like they're they're pounding this multiverse thing so hard. Mm -hmm. Like we're never gonna get that cohesive, coherent, shared universe, which is unfortunate. But they can, but they can, they can have a plan with the multiverse, right? I mean, they can, but right now the, the the reason that they're doing it is they want to be able to just like, just get good filmmakers to make good movies. They're not so worried about the interconnected stuff. They feel like that burned them with the Snyder era, and they just seem to want to just like let they they, they want more Joaquin jo- Phoenix Joker type situations where like these interesting things pop up, like 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 Matt Reeves the Batman. They exist in their own space. They do great business, and then we mm-hmm. move on. They're, they don't seem to be trying to do, you know, the, the interconnected thing isn't so important to them anymore. All they seem to care about is the multiverse and everyone getting to make whatever kind of movie they want to make and i think and, that i think where warner brothers lacks is so i said uh kevin feige but disney has ha, has had bob Iger. Mm-hmm. like bob Iger is you know a titan in the industry and warner brothers had kevin sushihara where he ruined the dc universe and harry potter and what else did he ruin he just he didn't run the studio in a manner that was that could benefit the story. I was taking it anywhere, <laughs> right? Like he ruined two, like that second Fantastic Beast films. Like, have did you see? Did anyone see that film? Like on this, you know, during this conversation we're having, it's horrible. Like absolutely god awful. It's like what WTF? What's going on here? And I think that Jason Kalar is really doubling down on the idea of using the ground that has already been laid, and saying we want to continue. Like there are people, there are people who are interested in these films. Look at Batman versus Superman. Did eight hundred million? Look at Suicide Squad. I mean, it was tr- trashed by critics but it still did 700 million dollars there there are people who enjoy the characters but it ultimately ends at the execution because like i said when you don't know where these films are going when you don't see like when you're not mapping out these things 
and when you're trying to catch up, like that's what I think they were trying to do is like, all right, we got to catch up to Marvel. So let's we do Batman, we'll do Superman, we'll do Man of Steel, and then after that we'll do we'll have Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. But then it became Batman versus Superman when it could, should have just been you know a world's finest. Man of Steel two should have happened. Yeah, first. Man of Steel yeah. two should have happened, and then you know you end that film with a you know post credit sequence. You know, Alfred dropping off Bruce Wayne at Wayne Manor, and he finds Kryptonite or something silly like that. And then, you know, but, I mean, Kyle and I have had this conversation time and time again. You, the all, at the end of the day, what they don't have is someone who says, all right, we want to go here. Let's Let's take the characterization here. Let's do that. And, like, we got to see Infinity War. We got to see Endgame. And I'm sure, I'm sure... Within the next five or ten years at Marvel, we're going to get Secret Wars. Like, holy hell. Think about that. That's going to be huge. I love yep. Secret Wars. That's one of my favorite comic books. That was one of my favorite Spider-Man the Animated Series like episodes is when they do Secret Wars where they have Spider-Man and Iron Man and the Fantastic Four. And you have X-Men. Like, that's coming. Like, we're going to see that. I, I keep hearing that Hugh Jackman's going to be back as Wolverine. Oh wow! I haven't heard of that one. That's uh, like, I keep, that's like I keep hearing those rumblings that they really like this whole Spider-Man multiverse. I mean, we're gonna get Toby. We're gonna get uh, Andrew Garfield. Like they, they're they can do those things now. Whereas DC is kind of like, well, here's what we've had. How can we kind of retcon this? And I well, think they're gonna do that with Flashpoint. Yeah, like their way of trying to make it like I don't know, make everything seem prettier than perhaps it really is, mm-hmm. is they seem to feel like, hey, everything you've ever seen is our franchise. It's all one big thing. This is all the DC multiverse. So even if you didn't maybe like like the last couple years worth of things, what's the thing you do like? You can find that here with us. You know what I mean? Like it's this weird thing where like the, rather than get tied to the success of one specific linear franchise that they're building out, they kind of gave up on that and just said, well, but look at all of these great legacy characters we have and all the, and there's lots of versions of them and we're just folding it all into this one interesting multiverse where anything can happen and in the flash we're going to show you ben affleck's batman and michael keaton's batman <laughs> and, and maybe alternate superman and all and, and, and you know like well we're gonna get we're gonna get cw flash in the flashpoint film yeah well. yeah so it, it just feels like th- they're hoping that that makes up for the fact that there isn't some great grand overarching plan that they're hoping we're going to be blown away by the potential and the possibilities of the infinite multiverse as opposed to here's our carefully laid out grand master plan and we're building to this epic story i think for whatever reason they're just not doing that right now and, and that's like, going to make yeah and like so like the big the big kind of like Rumor, the big thing going around is that J.J. is interested in finding a writer for Superman. But, like, okay, is J.J. wanting Henry Cavill back or does he want to do a Matt Reeves kind of thing? And I think that could damage – I think that could damage the overall brand as it – if that happens, like, I feel like that could damage the brand even further because there is an appetite for Henry Cavill to return – as Superman, and I don't think that's what J.J. wants to do. I think J.J. wants to do what Matt Reeves is doing because he wants, you know, he wants to do his own thing, whereas, like, 
remember Matt Reeves before all this like Ben Affleck talk and like Ben Affleck, he's going to do, he's become, he's coming back as Batman. I feel like the idea was, okay, Ben Affleck's not coming back as Batman. Let's Matt Reeves is going to come and he wants to do his own thing. Well, now that's earth too. Right, that's what, like that's been kind of like the news that's kind of been hitting the rounds. I mean, we remember all the Affleck stuff is just rumor that he's like coming back for something more than a cameo in the Flash and possibly to just do a little extra scene for the Snyder Cut. You know, there, 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 there's no real talk that he's actually coming back. Well, that's I for all one just am like, very eager to see the Batman Holiday Special. <laughs> um, but hey, but just to circle back to what you said though, yeah, from what I've heard, Abrams is looking to do a Reeves type thing here. He's not looking to continue the the previous Superman. He's looking to basically develop like a from scratch restart for the character. And like that's problematic because they have to. The studio paid him a ton of money, and like so they paid him like four hundred million dollars to develop a bunch of stuff so they have to service that that big paycheck that they just gave that dude so what are they going to do but i mean it would be nice if he could be the maybe he's the one who cracks the code because that's what's been missing with superman no one's found a way to make him a box office draw for whatever reason they keep screwing this up you know superman returns they invested over 200 million bucks there was all uh, there's another issue where there was like a lot of talent a lot of effort went into making this movie and then it 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 topped out at just about 400 mil worldwide okay Mm -hmm. then man of steel you know people forget that there were higher expectations than what it got maybe that's not fair maybe we shouldn't put that on man of steel but the bottom line was there was an expectation with all the marketing of the from the men who gave you the dark knight trilogy mm-hmm. it was like yeah, these guys were churning out billion dollar dc movies with batman and now mm-hmm. we're going to unleash them on superman so there was an expectation that he you know that this was going to be something that blew everyone away and there were reports afterward that the box office, which was somewhere in the mid-600s, mm-hmm. failed to be what they thought it was going to be. And that's one of the reasons why they sort of shimmied into Batman versus Superman next, where they felt like, well, let's get Batman in there and let's get into other things, because clearly Superman as a standalone is not exciting enough. You know, like there's been this perception that he hasn't you know, lived up to his true box office potential. So if Abrams can be the freaking guy who finally, like, makes a Superman movie that everyone's talking about and is a runaway success like the first Wonder Woman movie was, uh, then I'm, you know, I'm all for it. You know, I don't care whether it's got Henry or not. If he can crack the code and make a Superman movie for a whole new generation that everyone just loves and can look forward to now, uh, I will appreciate the fuck out of that. Justin Brad Brad Bird's my guy like that's the that's the filmmaker I want like I'd love to see JJ produce the film but Brad Bird oh yeah I agree I agree I I tweeted about this too like this is so tacky talking about my tweets but but I'm just saying I did mention this uh where I like Abrams as the guy who puts the team together 
Mm-hmm. I don't always like him as a director, but I like him as the guy who puts the team together. I like the teams he's assembled when it comes to the Mission Impossible franchise. I like the teams he's assembled, even with Star Trek. Like when he stepped aside and let Justin Lin do Star Trek Beyond, I thought Star Trek Beyond was a pretty damn good Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. You know, and I liked um What's another one? I feel like there's another example of something that he produced but didn't direct. I'm not sure right now. But the point is, like, I like him as the guy who gets the team together, mm-hmm. not necessarily as a director. So if that's how he's approaching this, where he's going to get the team together and maybe has some story ideas, but ultimately he's going to find someone who's like, this is the person to make this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I'm excited for that because I think he puts together a hell of a team. I agree. Like, I agree. I thought that, like, Rise of Skywalker was a dumpster fire, but that's a whole other episode that we could talk about that. <laughs> I mean, uh, and I put a lot of that on episode eight, not setting him up oh, for anything uh, all that special. Uh, we agree. Like, look yeah. at that. Me and Mario agree. On you and Kyle's like, oh, yeah. Like, Kyle's over there. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I sense a Star Wars episode coming at some point. Oh yeah, like but let we don't have to like I'd much rather talk about Mandalorian than the Rise of Skywalker. Sure. Um, <laughs> anything else that we need to talk about, Kyle Mario? I'm good. This has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, where can we find you on the social medias, Mario? You can find me on the social medias on either Twitter or Instagram at IDJ Weddings, as in I. DJ Weddings, um, not the like the 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 eyeball, but I, <laughs> I I'm Mario and I DJ Weddings. And, the letter uh, I. <laughs> and I've got a weekly podcast called the Fanboy Podcast, which I, I took a week off for New Year's Eve last week, but now I will be returning this Friday with an all new episode. Very good, uh, Kyle. Where can we find you? You can find me on the tweeters at Looney Kyle. And you can find me on Twitter at Batman Shanlin, and that's going to be it. Thank you, Mario, for, for coming onto the podcast.